0: What we're dealing with here is a total lack of respect for the law.
1: You're listening to Done By Law. Brought to you by the Federation of Community Legal Centres
0: you're tuning into done by law at 3cr on 855 am we acknowledge the wurundjeri people of the kulin nation as the traditional and rightful custodians of the land that we're broadcasting from we pay our respects to elders and acknowledge that this land was stolen and never ceded it always was and always will be aboriginal land it's 6 p.m on 17 august 2021 and we're your hosts dylan and jeremy Tonight we're joined by Mililma May, co-founder and organiser of Uprising of the People, also known as UP. We'll be discussing the NT government's introduction of tough new bail laws and the decision to fund the expansion of the notorious youth detention centre Dondale. Mililma is a staunch Larrakia woman living in Gilmergen, also known as Darwin. She became the first legal cadet to work on country with law firm Gilbert & Tobin and the North Australian Aboriginal Justice Agency, also known as Naja. He's provided legal education across the NT and specifically in Dondale. Malilma is a co founder of Uprising of the People with her cousin Shana, a Darwin based grassroots organisation that leads protests, empowers the community and stands up against injustices in the NT.
2: Listeners will remember the shocking and horrific images of Dylan Voller hooded in a chair, uh, which was exposed by the Four Corners investigation in into Dondale Youth Detention Centre in Darwin in 2017. The investigation revealed the inhumane and abusive conditions at Dondale and the NT government's mistreatment and and blatant torture of of children. This led to the federal government's Royal Commission into the Protection and Detention of Children in the NT, uh, which recommended the closure of Dondale. Uh, as a result, the NT, promised, the NT government promised to implement all 227 Royal Commission recommendations. Uh, it's now 2021, and the NT government has completely backflipped on this. Uh, in May of this year, the NT government passed tough-on-crime laws targeting young people, which will make it harder for young people to get bail and diversion. This occurs while the, go- the NT government has also flagged million dollars for the expansion of dondale the tough on crime legislation removes the presumption of bail for first-time offenders and automatically revokes bail if conditions are breached this legislation also adds more offenses where there is a presumption against bail this will Definitely result in more young people being on remand and behind bars. From 2019 to 2020, the NT had the highest rate of children in prison, 55.7 children per 10,000. The national average is 17.8. Although no children should be behind bars and any number is too high, the NT has five times the amount of children in prison. Hi, Melilma, Thanks for, for joining us. If you could tell our, our listeners about your organising effort and how Uprising of the People started.
1: Yeah. Hi, Dylan. Thank you for having me. Um, so Uprising of the People started basically with my cousin Sean and I. We're both Dungalaba women, Larrakir women from Darwin, and our grandmothers are sisters. Um, we, after the death of Kuman Jay Walker and Yuen Dumu in 2019. Uh, We felt compelled and sort of looked around and said why isn't there any action happening in Darwin and so we organised a protest in response to that incident and from there realised that there was a need for people to sort of take a leadership role in our community and to help organize the people and to help guide the people. So we initially started up as Black Women for Justice in June of 2020, where we led the Black Lives Matter protests. And from there, we just started off with a Facebook page and an Instagram page. And that has developed into um, a staunch beast of its own, which we now have Uprising of the People, also known as UP, as you've said. And We have connections now with Amnesty International and Amnesty Australia uh, and other um, grassroots organisations across Australia and the world. And our network has grown to allow us to have more reach across Australia and the world, but also, more importantly, to give us resources to educate and empower our own community here in Darwin. So Uprising of the People has led a few protests but also we seem to be a first point of contact for community who have issues to raise with responses to government policies or bills like the Youth Justice Bill. It's
0: amazing work that you're doing. Thanks for that. It sounds like you've got some really good community response, particularly being that first point of contact. In relation to those back, into that backflip on the youth crime laws by the NT government, What's been your experience with the community response that UPS received?
1: Yeah, so back in um, March of this year, the NT government, which is led by Michael Gunner as a Labor government, um, they announced a tough on crime approach to youth justice and youth crime. And these laws or the bills at the time, but they've now become law, are uh, proposed Uh, the use of more police powers, so more ankle monitors allowed on kids. So now police can place ankle monitors on children when ordinarily the judge only had the power to do that. Kids can now be breath tested and it doesn't really matter if there's a support person around. It says by law that they're meant to have a support person around in order to be tested, but that if the police make reasonable attempts to reach a support person and they can't contact one, then they're allowed to proceed with the breath testing. So that relies on the discretion of police officers, again, giving them more power. And the other third key feature is that um, now it's harder for young kids to get bail. So the presumption of bail has been removed. Ordinarily, with our rule of law and with the presumption of innocence, a person, especially a young person, would be more likely to be presumed bail initially, but now that presumption has been taken away and it's harder for them to prove why they should get bail. So now we've seen the numbers in Don Dale double since this time last year. So about last year there were about between 15 to 20 young people in Don Dale um, and now the numbers are nearing 50 and all these statistics are available on the Department of Territory Housing and Communities website. Online, and also the Northern Territory Children's Commissioners have posted a really good graphic of these stats. So, that information is all available there. So, in terms of community response, Uprising was actually the first organization to respond to the introduction of the laws. So, at work, because I work at a legal firm, and so we get like the notifications coming through of the new laws and that. And I saw that, and it just made my whole stomach churn. And so I contacted my cousin Shana who works at the Aboriginal Health Service and with our peers and support who are part of Uprising, we reached out to a few other people and also I had been working in Don Dale at the time so the kids had already noticed changes in the way that policing was happening. So it sort of happened just before the laws were introduced um, formally and, um, yeah, we responded to community basically call it like outcry and saying this was disgusting but there was no body you know how like if you need to write a submission to the government there was no body who they could turn to and like a corporate body or an organized body to say we need to have a voice that's like collectively against this bill and so that's where uprising of the people came in and so we started using our social medias and expressing our disgust for these laws and organized a protest so That's how we got the community involved. We had quite a show of people.
2: Has it been a surprise that these laws have been introduced? Like, why do you think it's happened, considering the outrage following the investigation into Dundale um, and the Royal Commission's findings?
1: I think there are sort of, in my mind, when you ask that question, two ways to answer it. The first is, like, my legal student social hat which says that everything sort of comes in cycles and since the Royal Commission where there was this huge outcry especially by the government who is the people in power who have then created this law um, but the history of politics in the Northern Territory is that we had 40 years of CLP which is country liberal party rule and country liberals are neck level like are even more right wing than perhaps they're definitely not middle right and so when you have 40 years of power of conservative government and then you bring in a centre-left government that responds really swiftly to the Four Corners report and um, the federal government's introduction of the Royal Commission then you also then face a backlash of all the people who had previously voted for CLP for 40 years thinking, oh my gosh, this government is doing too much. They're too progressive or, you know, that internal fear of too much change, which is all a result of racism and sexism and homophobia and everything, you name it, that's at the crux of it. So when you have that 40 years and then bring in this um, centre-left, naturally there's going to be a pushback back On fear of evolving policies. So I can see macro level how that has resulted in this now tough on crime approach, which is the third major time in the history of the NT, in the recent history of the NT, that the government has done this. So the earlier time was in the early 2000s, they did a tough on crime push, which led to all the numbers in Dondale and led to all the incidents we saw in the um, Royal Commission in the Four Corners report. So there's a cycle here that's happening. And so then my other hat, which is just me, myself, like no filter is just like the NT's is racist. We live in an archaic jurisdiction. Our politicians just uh, have a colonized mindset of punitive measures and wanting to continue the genocide of my people. And, In terms of the shock and surprise, definitely, I think it's always shocking when you see that people are continuing child abuse and humanitarian violations. But in terms of what it's like on the ground in the NT, it's not that shocking. And the response by the government basically echoes the broader situation of citizens and education that really pushes really racist regimes so it wasn't shocking but it was definitely heartbreaking and these laws are aggressive and go back the Michael Gunner's government are going back exactly on what they've said and I just want to point out that this bill that's passed and these laws that are passed was bipartisan support so when I'm calling out the Gunner government CLPs in that as well like it's not I'm not saying in any way that the Liberal government is better
2: yeah, it's a, I suppose something similar happened in Victoria when the Labor Party um, came to power a few years ago. There was they didn't want to seem weak on crime as well. Like they won huge a huge amount of seats, but they also were worried. I think about that backlash of losing votes. So they've also um, introduced um, and have tried to appear
0: tougher on crime as well, which is... Yeah, absolutely. There's um, there's always been some kind of large incident, a knee-jerk reaction, an inheritance from a previous government, and it just creates a bit of a cycle. And it sounds like a similar thing is happening up north as well. Now, Aboriginal children are obviously massively overrepresented in prison populations across every jurisdiction around Australia. It's pretty clear that these laws are going to disproportionately affect Aboriginal young people in prison and those who were entrenched in the criminal justice system. With your two roles and your two hats and and that kind of perspective, are these laws a result of straight up colonialism and racism, or is there perhaps something else underlying there as well?
1: That's a really great question. I also want to say that I checked the statistics last week and the latest results of, and that's on that Department of Housing website or Territory Families website, and as of the twenty seventh of July all the young people in Dondale were Aboriginal or Torres Strait Islander and or Torres Strait Islander. Um, So our children are disproportionately affected by these laws and policies. It is straight up colonialism and genocide. When we think of the evolution of the Western law, um, it was created Far away from the Northern Territory, far away from Gulamurjan, far away from Larrakia country, um, in cold country, in white people country. Like the, the evolution of the laws were also mainly for men back then, too. So these laws were for grown men and punishment. And that whole punitive concept of addressing an issue has evolved from England. I think it's important to think about that because then when we think, okay, these laws were born from that place and they look like this and all of a sudden we're going to plonk them down on this country that already has laws and already has language and already has a system of governance, there's a massive clash and an incoherence there. And the people who are affected the most are the youth because they are growing, learning and trying to figure out how to navigate in this world, and especially when you have um, Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander children who are born looking one way and experiencing this way but then have this clash of this harshness and this intense violence. And the violence of colonial Australia initially did start with guns and did start with arsenic and lacing flour and started with straight-up violence in terms of physical violence But we see now that it's the omissions of the government that create violence. So it's the silence, it's the complacency, it's the neglect that is inherently just as violent as the guns and the steel and the metal. So the policies and laws are a form of violence that's continued by the imperialist, white supremacist, capitalist patriarchy. Shout out to bell hooks. And we see that every day affecting our kids, especially when they, if we picture a young person going into court, most of the time our young kids have been in foster care. So they've been removed from their families as babies because the way that their families have been trying to survive in this colony do not fit the lens or structure of good parenting in the Western mindset. And also coupled with that, the trauma and the poverty and the neglect that the parents or grandparents have felt as a result of the colony as well. So there's this layered thing called intergenerational trauma, which we hear a lot of, and it's very real and very relevant. So kids get taken, put into the foster care system, and that's where we see this pipeline. And most of the time, in foster care, kids' behaviours are criminalised, so where they might lash out and potentially throw a chair and it smashes a window or punch a wall, that suddenly becomes property damage because they're in the foster care system and so that response to their behaviour, which is a teenager or a young child just lashing out, being hormonal, also because they've been taken from their families, they uh, have been dispossessed internally and so they're lashing out because of their trauma, that behaviour then becomes criminalised, and so they're introduced to the criminal justice system from such a young age. And in the NT, our age of criminal responsibility is ten. So we have primary school aged children who are, whose behaviours have been criminalised, and that's their portal straight into Don Dale into the youth justice system in the Northern Territory. So the layers and the effect of violence of the colony that manifests itself in so many different ways, whether it be from actual actions by the police to omissions by the government or strategic policy and law by the government. 100% it's the colony, it's white supremacy, it's racism. They're all the propelling factors that have created the world that we live in. But the the little glimmers of hope that shine through are decolonizing and like having this mindset of how can we undo this and like where how can we do this better and that's when we turn back to looking at the first people here the first nations people the indigenous people
0: thanks for that that was that was really really insightful it's um it's unfortunate to see young people getting into the justice system through the care system, we have a, a very similar problem here as well. Um, it's very sad to see that that seems to be around the country. What
2: what do you what are the community's demands around um, the community and up's demands around youth justice, and, and what do you think can be done about this?
1: So the demands of the community have pretty much been echoed for. Well, so the NT has been colonised since 1869, so for at least the last 150 years. And it all comes back to the same thing. The solutions are in the community. And what it means is that, especially in the NT, um, because of this uh, extreme resistance of all Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people further down south, that delayed the colonisation of my country up here. And so we still have a lot of our laws, a lot of our kinship systems um, that are living and continued and practised as they were 60,000 years ago. So we're in other places, like my country, Darwin, I do not have the same songlines or laws because they were taken from me by white people. And so our laws and customs have evolved into a modern and contemporary way, which is just as valid as our ancient, Um, practices of law. But in a lot of parts of the NT, Aboriginal laws are practised and continue to this day. And part of the solution is interweaving the concepts and laws of Aboriginal laws into the criminal justice system. And so what that might look like is, first of all, programs like Youth Diversion. Youth diversion works. A lot of our young people, if supported appropriately and put back on their communities and given time to spend on country and with their elders and following their law and going through ceremony, we see the recidivism rates completely decline. So development of youth diversion programs is absolutely paramount to preventing our children from being incarcerated. And so youth diversion is like the white man's term, right? Like, but really what that looks like is rather than a child going to jail or even going to court, we don't even want to really introduce them into that setting because they then, if they experience that too much, become institutionalized and they think that's normal and they think it's okay to have an ankle monitor on and it's okay to have constant surveillance by the police and it's okay to constantly be monitoring your actions to see if they're legal or not so we want to prevent the child's exposure to the criminal justice system which is where youth diversion comes in and so yes the police have identified an incident has occurred or maybe it's alleged to have occurred so then what can the community do and we have community members all across the NT who have solutions and who know what works for their kids so across the NT what works for people in Larrakia country is not going to work for the same kids on Kanarakan country or on Tiwi or out at Yongle like that it comes down to okay we have a system where we have this young Tiwi boy let us get in contact with his community and his family and to the youth centers over there be like okay what are we going to do whereas that negotiation and communication with the community is not even happening. Um, and that's where we can start developing policies within our own workplaces and within our own spaces to be like, okay, how can we actually involve the voices of our communities? And how can it be specifically tailored from the community? And this is where, for any non Indigenous people listening, you don't have the answers for this. This is actually not up to you to decide, but it's simply for you to step back and be like, hold on a second there's probably an Aboriginal person who can do exactly what I'm doing and it's actually more appropriate for them to do this role. I'm going to call on them, pay them to do the work and then they can be involved in their child's journey. And um, so it's not about non-Indigenous people thinking of the solutions, it's literally about you guys like stepping back and being like, okay, there's other people here that can do this and who are more appropriate to do this. So that's where youth diversion and community consultation are the key ways. The people, Mr. Yinia Mark Gaiula, who's the member for MOLCA of the Legislative Assembly in Darwin, he's a young old man and he's the only member of parliament who opposed the youth justice laws. He has the solutions in his speech for his people and they want their kids their young old kids to go back to country, to go through law, to do ceremony and get disciplined out there because they know that that works for their kids. And so it's about the justice system thinking, okay, we have all these young kids and it's about the, um, the legislative assembly, the parliament being like, okay, we have all these young kids, they're coming from these places. Maybe we should just go and communicate with the elders from those places and find out what the issue is rather than, Let's just lock them up and keep them here on Dungalaba country because that doesn't work. We've got desert kids up here. We've got freshwater kids up here. They're not supposed to be on my country, especially not to get disciplined and punished. That's not appropriate. That's not following cultural protocol. They need to be out on their own country and they need to be around their own family and their own elders because at the end of the day we're talking about children who literally need just love and nurturing and guidance not to be locked up in a cell.
0: That was very powerful. Thank you. Um, it sounds like there's a lot of work to be done and you sound like you're only just getting started. I guess my last question for you is what can our listeners do to support you and support Uprising?
1: Yeah, I think, thank you for that question, Jeremy. Um, I think there are sort of, again, I'm going to use the two hat things because everything's always layered. And so from like a Young or old person listening to the radio either on your phone or in the car or whatever, it's a simple, like, open up Instagram and Facebook and follow Uprising of the People and from there we have a lot of links to other organisations in the Northern Territory who are Aboriginal organisations who are working with young people um, and who are working with communities and who are Aboriginal-led organisations who employ Aboriginal people who work with Aboriginal youth so we can link you to those so follow Uprising of the People on Instagram and Facebook Um, and then secondly As a listener of a community radio station, a radical community radio station, obviously some of you might have white guilt or have like resources or have um, a tertiary education or have like rich people or yourselves might be rich, whatever you define that as. And I think it's about sitting back and assessing just within yourself what you're doing in your own community it really starts with your own community and your own backyard and your own families and like around the dinner table, like what the conversations are being had and how we in our own minds are decolonizing because you don't have to be indigenous to decolonize. And, Um, at the end of the day all the people in power who are making decisions are humans as well and sit hopefully at a dinner table with their families and eat a nice meal so we're not different to them but the difference is our mindset and how we either continue to perpetuate the colony or continue to break that down when we're thinking of decolonizing we're thinking of first of all we're on Aboriginal land, always was, always will be, it's stolen land, the sovereignty was never ceded. And so just having this constant awareness that, one, all the infrastructure and the institutions and the roads that we see are the colony. And so what does that then represent in our own minds? And how can we begin to be like, grateful for the things that the colony gives us, but then also think, okay, what things do we not need? Like we definitely don't need any of this homophobia shit or like language warning or like transphobia shit because that is actually a colonial mindset, right? Like that's actually putting people in categories and like deciding a judgment on them. Whereas if we have a decolonized mindset, we're like actually we all have a valuable role in this community and regardless of what we look like, who we love, how we present ourselves, we actually have a duty to care for this land, and so, first of all, follow the Uprising of the People <laughs> and then start to unpack how you perpetuate Colony.
2: Incredibly well said. Thank you so much for speaking with us tonight. Um, keep up the good fight. Uh, you've been listening to Done By Law on 3CR on 855 AM on 17th of August with your hosts, Dylan and Jeremy. You can listen to this show on your radio, online, or where you
1: get your podcasts. Fitzroy Legal Service has launched a free information and advice phone service for people who have been stopped, questioned, fined or charged for breaching the new COVID-19 restrictions. Have you been fined or charged under the new laws or stopped and questioned by police for being outside? Call 0434 136 501 Weekdays between 9am and 5pm. That's 0434 136 Or head to fitzroy-legal.org.au for more information. You can also report incidents at covidpolicing.org.au. Fitzroy Legal Service is a 3CR supporter.